Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Tiger Woods. Tiger is back. I mean, literally back. And that's a fact. How do I know? Not because he played 18 at Augusta National yesterday. Not because he went one under par on a day where a lot of really good players struggled. It wasn't even the fist pump on 16. The moment that I knew that he was officially back was when this happened. This one's going to catch that slope and feed off the green. Tiger Woods telling his ball to bleep off is the surest sign that he's back. That will never not be funny to me. The guy who put his stick to ball telling his ball to F off. Alvy. This one's going to catch that slope and feed off the green. That's the old tiger. That's awesome. Hearing that's better than hearing the roar of the gallery or his name announced on the first tee. Hearing that guy to tell his own golf ball to bleep off had me flashing back. It threw me back to this. And Tiger on the tee, the hole in the upper back right quadrant. Fuck! I don't think he's pleased. Oh, well, well, no more commentary necessary. That made my commentary look pretty mild. Good times. Him going to the third person, calling himself a dumbass, saying he sucks, telling the ball to bleep off. That's how you know Tiger is back. When Tiger is dropping F-bombs, telling his ball to bleep off, saying he sucks. That's the sign that he's back. Hey, listen, I've got no idea how Tiger is going to show up today. I don't know what kind of a toll yesterday took on him and his leg, but the fact that this guy made it around all 18 yesterday was pretty damn impressive. Like, if we go back a year, there was a legit conversation that he might not even have both legs. Hell, last week, I thought there was absolutely no way this guy could play 18. None. Like, no chance whatsoever. Then he does that, and he's among the leaders. Not only did he make it out there, play 18, but was among the leaders. I mean, get the hell out of here with that. And yeah, I know it's golf. I know there's not a blitzing linebacker looking to take him out. I know that nobody's throwing triple-digit heat at his head. We're looking to hammer him if he comes in the paint. But that still was one of the toughest, toughest things I've seen in quite some time. I mean, like, gritty as hell. Remember, it's a course that's so nasty that Phil Mickelson couldn't even show his face. But the guy who nearly lost his leg last February was some out there, somehow out there, and he was playing well. And the thing that held him back really wasn't his swing. It was just the walking. The thing that is supposed to be the easiest thing to do on a golf course, that's what's holding him back. That's what's kind of wild about the entire thing. I can swing a golf club. It's The, the walking is not, not easy, and it's, it's difficult. As I said, with all the hardware in my leg, it's, it's going to be difficult you know, for the rest of my life. It's just the way it is. But uh, I'm able to do it. 
that's something I'm very lucky to have this opportunity to be able to play and not only that, to play in the Masters and to have this type of reception. I mean, the, the, the place was electric. You imagine the kind of stuff that guy's gone through to finally have that kind of perspective? And he's right. It was electric. That did not feel like a Thursday at Augusta. That actually felt like a Sunday afternoon. That felt like all of the Sunday afternoons rolled into one. It was a reminder that in terms of spectacle and excitement, there's still a massive gap between the young stars of today and Tiger Woods. I'm not saying he's better. I'm just saying the buzz, the vibe, the hype, the electricity. The fact that Tiger Woods put a ball on the tee on the first hole at Augusta yesterday was incredible. The fact that he finished that round was even more incredible. The fact that he was under par is crazy. I mean, sure, firing a 71 would not have had the old Tiger Woods fired up, but he should have been fired up yesterday because that, to me, was borderline miraculous. Borderline erotic. Or borderline erotic. Borderline erotic. To you, Tiger Honks, it wasn't borderline erotic. It was full-on erotic. Borderline erotic. I mean, exactly, Alvy. Thank you. Borderline erotic. I want to call it borderline miraculous. Alvin inserted his own borderline erotic. But it's a fact. To you honks, there was nothing borderline about that eroticism. Borderline erotic. Anyway, him being under par to me really was borderline, borderline. miraculous. Borderline. The guy nearly died not that long ago. And if he wasn't nearly dead, he was nearly without a leg. Yet he's out there going one under in the first round of the Masters. And by the way, it's not just the leg. This is the thing. It's not just the leg. How incredible is this? I'm hyping this guy beyond recognition. It's not just the leg. Remember his back? Remember all the surgeries on that thing? At that point, dude is being held together with duct tape, scotch tape, crazy glue, whatever, thumbtacks. His knees are shot. The Achilles... And all of that was before a car accident that could have claimed his life. Yet there he was a year after that shooting 71? 71. How did that stack up? Not that bad, right? Rory McIlroy over par. And can I stop right there? How happy is Rory that Eldrick is there to take some of the heat off Rory? How unfathomable is it? Like, I know it's really hard to win a major, but how unfathomable is it that Rory's gone eight years without one. That's weird now. Remember when Rory exploded on the scene and was Tiger? Neither do I. Justin Thomas, over par. See, Woods is under par. Rory, over par. This is yesterday. JT, over par. Brooks Kepka over par. John Rahm, over par. Jordan Spieth, over par. He shot lower than all of them. It's a course that had Cameron Smith dropping profanities near the end of a really good round. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about right there. I mean, that's the kind of course that Tiger was hobbling around on and ended up one under par. Now, don't get me wrong. It was not pretty. It was not vintage Eldrick. Not by any stretch. There were misses, especially with the irons. 
But when he missed, he missed in the right spot. Alan Shipnook reported that somebody close to Tiger said that he had broken 20 of the 26 bones in his foot. 20 of the 26 bones. Like, that's some evil Knievel bleep right there. And that's before we get to the rest of the leg, which was pretty much a total horror show. So the guy nearly lost his leg, and there he was a few months after the fact, near the top of the leaderboard. The guy was broken down and rebuilt his swing countless times. Doesn't have a problem with the swing. It's something else. And I got to say, that's never not going to be mind-blowing. Like, I don't even care what he does today or the rest of the tournament. I don't care if the guy completely implodes today and misses the cut. I don't care if he has to withdraw today. He'll always have yesterday. And I'm not even talking about some kind of participation trophy either. I mean, that was an amazing thing, what he did yesterday. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, the idea of Tiger Woods playing was crazy. Last week, it was still crazy. Today, at least coming into today, depending on how he bounces back, this notion of him making the weekend or maybe even contending is not out of the question. It sounded completely delusional earlier this week when he said that he believed he could actually show up and win the event. You've said countless times throughout your career that you don't enter a golf tournament unless you think that you can win it. Mm -hmm. So the question is simple. Do you think you can win the Masters this week? I do. I mean, when he said it, I thought it was like the most absurd thing ever. Not anymore. I mean, I'm not saying that he will. I'm not saying that I would bet that he would. I won't. I don't think he will. But to even, even have the conversation is incredible. I mean, like, the absurd thing is, it's not that absurd. And, and if somehow, some way, this guy went out there and did it, I mean, forget about it. Shut it down. Let's go home. Greatest accomplishment of his career, and it wouldn't even be close. Like, the only comp to Tiger that I can think of at this point is Alex Smith, who I talked to a couple of weeks back on my podcast. Different sports, different scenarios to be sure, but similar devastating leg injuries and incredible comebacks. Of course, as I mentioned, nobody's trying to take Tiger Woods' head off like Alex Smith. But I got to say, I mean, even if this guy makes the cut, even if he makes it to the weekend, whoever wins, I mean... You might barely be a blip on the radar. Maybe you're a take that I'll try to squeeze in to the third hour, second segment. Hey, congrats to you, but that green jacket means about as little as any jacket that I can pick up at Nordstrom's if this guy makes it into the weekend and is a factor. I mean, when he was making noise a few weeks back about, yeah, I might try, I might try that. I thought it was absurd. I mean, I was laughing. Come on, dude. They almost cut your leg off. A few minutes ago. So it's been a long, 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 long time since I've started a show by hyping Tiger Woods. But I'm fair like that. And what he did yesterday was amazing. It really was. 1-800-636. And I know for you honks, it was borderline erotic. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of 
Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper or What's Your Beef? I am joined by Chris Wright. Chris, it is so good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time. My man, it's been a long time. In fact, I can tell you how long it's been. You and I last spoke in March of 2013, and that was just after wow. you signed your contract, right, with the Mavericks. So yep. it's been just over nine years. We have a lot to get caught up on, but how is your life right now? How are things? Things are going well. I'm playing in, like you said, Tortona, um, Tortona, Italy, right outside of Milan. Playing in the first division here. Uh, season's going well. I'm married with three kids now. Uh, at the time, I I was just having my first my first uh, child. So, you know, a lot has gone on in these ten, in these nine years, especially with my career. It's been a journey. All right. So in terms of the journey, Chris, for those who do not know your story, I want to go back a little bit. You had a great high school career and a really, really good run at Georgetown. But then you went undrafted coming out of college. You went overseas to play in Turkey. What was the first year like for you in Turkey? It was a complete culture shock because that was the year. First off, that was the year of the NBA lockout. So there was any there was no summer league. There was no talking to teams. There was no mini camps, anything like that. So. Um, everybody, even NBA players, current NBA, well, not current anymore, but NBA players at the time were going overseas and playing basketball. So I went to Turkey. Uh, I was fortunate to get a contract because all the jobs were being taken up. I went to Turkey, and that was a complete culture shock, like nothing I've never seen before. You know, people, just the way they were living, it was completely different. And, um, it's, it's, yeah, it was just different for me. I'm from Washington, D.C., DMV area. I grew up in Bowie, Maryland. Uh went to high school in Washington, D.C., so... You know, I was totally out of my realm. <laughs> Chris Wright joining us. All right, and then you said there was a point, Chris, where you felt a tingling in your right foot, and then you thought that's probably the result of overuse. You expect to sleep it off, but then it spreads to your right hand, then your right arm, and then your entire right side. And then not long after that, you couldn't walk. It sounds terrifying. What was going through your head at that point? Well, yeah, Jim, it was, it was, I wasn't even terrified. I was just more you know, it just didn't make sense to me. It didn't add up. So I just was totally confused by the situation. It kind of just felt, you know, I don't know. It just it just didn't seem real at the time. So I just kind of, I was kind of, I stayed calm, to be honest. I stayed real calm, and, and I just knew I had to go to the hospital, see somebody about this. You know, it, it started me being on the court, going to practice. Before practice, I was shooting on the court, and I started feeling it, and it just really took over my body. They told me to rest. And the next day is when basically I was like paralyzed. I couldn't feel anything. And, uh, you know, they, you know, I, I, I went to see a specialist after that. And that's when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. All right. So, I mean, the whole thing sounds really terrifying to me. In fact, I, I could share a story about that. So, because I know what it's like to hear that. I'll get to that in a minute if I can. But when you go to mm -hmm. a specialist and they tell you, you have MS, what went through your mind? I didn't know what it was. Right. I asked them, what is, what's that? 
I had no idea. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea. You know, I just was, you know, so the first thing I did was I went to Google. And at that time, that was 20, 2012 or, or, or late 2013. That was 2012. Like, everything with, that was written on it was terrible, you know. So it's like kind of like a death sentence in terms of, in terms of athleticism, in terms of living a normal life. That's, that's how it was portrayed uh, through, through the Internet. So it was really a culture shock. Again, I just didn't. I didn't understand whatsoever, so I didn't even panic. I just didn't. It just didn't make sense to me. So um, I just, I was kind of overwhelmed with a lot of information at the time. We're talking to Chris Wright. So I mean, you're a basketball player, but not just a basketball player, but a very good basketball player, and you're a pro. And this is how you make your money. So I would imagine in the beginning, it, it's shocking, and you're trying to process it, and you're trying to figure it all out. But I mean, at one point, did you not think to yourself, "Now wait a minute." This is how I make a living. This is how I make my money. And you're telling me I can never play ever again. Did you have that moment? And what was that moment like? Jim, honestly, I never had that moment. I never believed it was going to be the end for me. Incredible. I honestly do not believe that's that. Incredible. That's incredible. That's why I'm, I'm playing and sitting here talking to you now. I never had a doubt that uh, that I would be back on the court. You know, and once I believed that, and I truly did, without a without a doubt, then my you know it became a reality for me. <clears throat> so. It became a reality for me, and that's, that's kind of how I looked at it. Of course, you know, I went to see several doctors, and they all told me no when I was able to come back home and and all that stuff, but I was able to find the right doctor, Dr. Heidi Crane, and she's helped me through this, and she's my doctor to this point, I mean, to this day. So uh, I've been able to, 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 to withstand and just by being positive and, and maintaining the focus on what I want to do, how can I get from point A to point B. And, you know, just moving forward. It hasn't been easy, though. There's no blueprint, nobody before me, so it wasn't always easy. No, and I'm going to talk about that in one minute. Chris Wright is joining us right now, so it seems like to me there's two major things going on right here. One, you never accepted that that was over. Number two, you found a specialist who said, who gave you hope that, you know what, it may not be over. There could be a way through this. I brought up my personal story. I've never shared this with anybody ever on air. But, Chris, just to digress, one day, a number of years back, my wife felt a sort of numbness on one side of her face, and we called our doctor, and he said, that's not right. You need to go to the emergency room right away. We did. They ran a couple of tests, and this doctor comes out, you know, this emergency room doctor, and looks at us and says, she has MS. I said, wait, what? He said, she, your wife has MS. I'm like, I was in shock. I'm like, like you, I'm like, I don't really know what that is. What does that mean? Right. How do you know? And he's like, listen, right. I got things to do, all right? She has MS. And I'm like, are you effing kidding me? What is that? And come to find out she didn't. But I know what that moment's like. Man, it's terrifying because you don't really understand it. And then you go to your phone, right? And then you look. And right. I just want to share that. So I right. know what you're talking about. So you're with Dr. Heidi Creighton, and you're doing the work, and you're starting to move again. And then you have to walk and run and jump and dribble and shoot. Like, what was that process like? And were you seeing improvements every single day? Or was it a major grind, a tiny bit of progress daily? Uh, at first, it was a major grind, just little, little battles steps, you know, um, not feeling pain at first, but then after a, a week or so, it kind of picked up pretty rapidly, and I was able to be back at full strength within about two months, I would say, two, three months, but at first, it was it was, it was was challenging. It was frustrating, um, but I stayed with it. I just kept going every day. I just kept, I just kept pushing myself every day because that's what I wanted to do. That's what I set my mind on, and, um, you know, I, I think it's just, a story, you know, it's just, I just was persevering, man. I really did. That's all I wanted. It's something I love to do. It's something I'm passionate about, and I wanted to stick with it, you know. So 
I didn't want the end of my basketball career to be on someone else's terms. That's pretty much what it was. All right, so this is the bottom line. Like, every great athlete wants to go out on their own terms. And you clearly, Chris, right. you, you decided that, and you decided, I will not be defined by this, or I will use this. It'll define me, but I'm going to turn this into fuel. I'm going to turn it on its head, this mindset. And were you always like that? That I, I don't think we're giving enough credit to you saying, I'm not going to give in to this. I'm not giving up on the dream. Did you have to work up to that point, or were you always like that? How did you achieve that kind of mindset? Well, one is, you know, my family, my support system. Um, my brother used to kill me in every sport growing up, <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't uh, you were tough. satisfied until I was able to be him. So that was always the, the journey for me. That was always the hustle and, and, you know, just where I got this, my strength from my family. And then as I got older and I got more mature, it's been my wife and my kids. So I've been more... It's been it's been the the surrounding people I have and the foundation I have kind of set the tone for this. And I've always felt that I was a leader. I always felt that I you know I was always really confident. It was just a matter of um, doing it when when it, when things got when my back was against the wall. So I didn't feel uncomfortable in that situation. You know I, I had a support system and I, they had built me up so much over my life that you know when when adversity hit. If something new happened, I just say, okay, well, this is just going to be another chapter in the book. And, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you, and I and I thank you for telling the story about your, you know, your very intimate story with multiple sclerosis and your wife. And I'm glad she's she's healthy. Yeah, no, and I appreciate you saying that because it, it was terrifying to hear. It was terrifying to hear, and I didn't understand it. And, you know, I, like what I'm hearing from you, did you – I know there were hard days, Chris. I know there were challenging days. I know yeah. there were days where you probably didn't want to do it. Was there ever a time where you said, why me? Yeah, absolutely. I I went through every emotion possible. You know, I don't want to sit here and say, you know, act like I'm a stone face. You know, nah. I went through every single emotion possible. That's part of it. You want to go through all. You want to go through the the every single emotion that you can possibly have is is a part of that process and a part of that journey. And I just embraced it all. You know, and kept. I never accepted as a a loss anything. It was a learning thing for me. You know, and I just keep moving. I keep keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Because honestly. Regardless if I play basketball or not in my life, I'm gonna have to keep moving anyway because that's what's good for multiple sclerosis. So um, I just felt that it was it was I think it's been a plus and an advantage for me to to continue to play basketball and continue to play and compete at a high level and to the point where you know I've I'm down to the point where it's not about me having multiple sclerosis, it's just how much can I help a team win. So you know yeah, it's been it's definitely been tough times absolutely it's been good times it's been bad times it's been small wins and small losses or whatever but it's all a process dude your your attitude is incredible chris wright is joining us right now like so you played in the d league then you were an all-star and then you signed with the mavericks and as you said quote the universe spoke to me making the nba solidified it for me i did it and it wasn't supposed to be done this is a live universe, and I am living testimony to that. I mean, what did it mean to you to get to play in the NBA and achieve that dream, given the diagnosis you were hit with? Well, I grew up in, in PG County, Maryland, Bowie, Maryland, Temple Hills, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. And where we're from is where where I'm from is where Kevin Durant is from. It's from where a lot of great basketball players are from. So as a kid, we always, all of us had the dream of making it to the NBA. All of us had a dream of playing uh, high-level D1 college basketball because we saw people from our neighborhoods doing that. So for me, it was it was a lifelong dream that I accomplished. So that's what 
it meant to me when I finally made it this, despite all the bumps in the roads, you know. So for me, it just felt like a, a full circle moment to still accomplish something where in a space that no one has ever been in. So it basically felt like I was running my own race. There was no competition. And I, and I had to compete with myself. And that's kind of, that's the hardest battle for real when you compete with yourself. So that's how I felt. That's how I felt. And I constantly told myself I was going to get there. I constantly told myself I was going to get there. I was going to get there. I was going to get there. And like I said, the universe listened. <laughs> and I got called up during multiple Scor- uh, sclerosis awareness month. And my son was born the next day. You know, so it was it was kind of full circle how everything happened. I love this notion. The universe listened like you kept telling yourself over and over and over again. And the universe listened. Chris Wright is my guest. Like if I didn't know you and I didn't know your story and I didn't know better, I would say it's impossible. I would say it's not even possible. How could somebody diagnosed with MS make it back to the NBA? There's more. Before I let you go, I want to get to this part of it, too. The story does not stop there because you didn't stop there. After you came back to the States, you met up with an old friend from your hometown named Aaron. She said that on your first date, you told her you had MS. She was Googling it under the table at dinner. She asked (laughs) if you'd be okay, and she says, quote, he confidently responded yes in true Chris Wright manner. We pretty much decided after the first date that this was forever. End of quote. Dude, a lot of people would hear that you say you had MS and they would have run. So what has Erin meant to you and what does it mean to you to have her on this journey with you? Because that's an incredible story. Well, yeah, that's my wife. That's my best friend, first and foremost. But we met um, at 13 years old at my high school. So she knew me prior to that. She knew what I was about. She knew my family. We had a, you know, it's not like I just randomly saw and you know i said this is what it is and then first day and the rest is history now nah, we had a lot of history beforehand we we were already close we were already friends we already hung out with each other And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. Listen, when you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. That's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24 and 7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Discover. Chris, sorry about that. We got disconnected. So finish that thought about Aaron. Yeah, so, you know, she, she's, she was on this journey with me. Sorry about that. We got disconnected. But she's been on this journey with me for a long time, and she knew. And when I said, yes, everything is, you know, I'm fine and everything's going to be okay, she understood that because she's known me for a long time. And she's been right with me, my biggest supporter, every, you know, every step of the way. And we've been blessed and able to, you know, uh, experience the world together and, and have our kids involved as well. So, yeah, it's, you know, a lot is owed to her and a lot is owed to her strength. It's her awesome. Belief. That is awesome. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Chris Wright joining us. I want to say how awesome that was. I think that's incredible. I really want to ask you this before you go. You told ESPN that you believe that life is, quote, about the endless pursuit of self. I love that. It's a great, great description. Can you lay that out for me? What does that mean, the endless pursuit of self? What's that mean to you, and what's your process? So for me, you know, this was told to me early because, you know, as a kid, you're always saying, oh, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And I never forget my father was like, yo, what you mean you bored? What does that mean? How can you be bored? 
how can you be bored? Like, there's so much to learn. You can always be learning. As I'm sure, Jim, you, you can learn something new every day if you wanted to. There's so much to learn. So it's always a quest to, to improve yourself. It's an endless pursuit. You know, no one, no one knows everything. No one has complete knowledge of everything that's, you know, come on this earth. So you can always learn. You can always learn about different things. You can always try new things. There's always there's thousands, of, you know, of languages. There's everything that you can learn. So it's always an endless pursuit. And when you stop learning is when you stop getting better. So for me, that's what I mean by the endless pursuit. You always have to keep learning, keep trying, keep, keep uh, persevering. And just keep stepping in your journey. You know, that's what the endless pursuit means to me. I love that. So, Chris, one last thought. I think you answered it in part, but it was not that long ago that you had been given some horrible news, and it would have been very easy to go to a dark place and maybe never, ever reemerge. So what would you say to somebody listening right now who is in a spot similar to where you were 10 years ago? What advice would you give that person? I would say do your homework. I would say research as much as possible. And always have a positive outlook. You gotta. I think for me, one, the biggest thing for me is that whatever you put in your mind, whatever you put in your your mind, and then you put it down on paper or whatever act you go next is going to reflect what you put in your mind. So if you are kind of in a sense where you're projecting out that something negative is going to happen, then it's a higher chance that something negative is going to happen. So for me, it's you have to project what it is you want in, in your life, how you can accomplish that. And, and go for it and don't let anything else stop you from that. Now, everybody's situation is different. So it'll be, you know, it has to be personalized to your situation. That's what makes multi-sclerosis so unique is that everyone is, is very personalized to their situation. So you have to understand what it is your strengths and weaknesses are. And the best way you can move forward, you got to believe that, write it down or whatever you need to do and, 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 and strive to do everything that, you, that you're thinking positive. Because as soon as the negative thoughts creep into your mind, then it kind of, it kind of diminishes everything that you, you want to accomplish, accomplish in a positive way, and it's very easy to slip off. So uh, that would be my advice. I would have to talk to the person more and, and understand them, but that something along those lines. I think, I think that's so valuable. I think that's so powerful. Like thoughts become things. Things become actions. Actions become your life. If you put the right stuff out there, in your case, Chris, especially, the universe spoke to you. So I think it, it's absolutely. an absolutely amazing story. I think you're an amazing dude. I am so glad that you and I could get caught up. And I can only imagine, Chris, how many people listening right now needed to hear that. That's resonating with them. I mean, that's just absolutely amazing, man. It is so good to get caught up. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you, Jim. I really do. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, we got to do this again sometime. <laughs> yeah, much sooner. Much sooner than later. Now, let's not wait nine oh. years this time, my guy. We definitely will. <laughs> nah, soon. not at all. Okay, all right, you be good. good. Take care, Chris. We'll do it again soon. Chris Wright. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. 
quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper or What's Your Beef. And today we have ourselves an enormous Big Head Bet segment with the Big Head himself, James Kelly. If you're new to this, and some of you are, James Kelly works on this show. I don't know exactly what the hell he does. I don't know exactly where the hell he lives, but he will show up once a week, sometimes twice, if he's feeling really magnanimous. And we talk gambling. Gambling is being legalized in more and more states. More and more people are doing it. So we want to have fun with it. We don't want to get in too deep. We don't want to ever gamble money we can't afford to lose. But we're having fun with it. Today, we've got a big fat segment. We're talking NFL futures. We're talking UFC 273. And we, of course, are talking about the Masters. Head, are you feeling dangerous? And more importantly, Head, are you feeling lucky? I'm feeling both, as always, Jim. I'm here. I'm feeling good. I am dangerous. And lucky. And lucky. All right. Let's get at it. Why don't we start with some NFL futures and a quick comment. Now, initially, I didn't love the idea of futures play because, well, I like the live action. I like the immediate gratification. You would always say to me, hey, boss, it's a good thing you do. It gives you something to track. It gives you something to follow. It gives you something to, to root for. I didn't like parking the money. I didn't like waiting months to see whether or not it came to fruition, but then I flipped it on its head. For instance, when I mess around on the side with stocks, I'm not usually in and out of stocks. It's not a problem. So why not buy and hold some NFL futures and make it feel like a mini stock? Do you feel me, head? Yes, I do. And actually, uh, come November and December, they add even more excitement to the games. And if you don't like a uh, game you're watching late in the year and you don't like maybe the Chiefs at minus seven, just take the uh, don't bet it and just because you might have an over under on them. So just go with that. So it adds a lot more flavor to everything, I would say. Yeah, that's good. You want flavor. Flavor's and, good. And you and you had have so much flavor. Yeah, yes, I do. Yeah, you do. All right. So rather than hit some Super Bowl futures, I'm thinking instead we take on some of the big stories of the week. All right. Okay. Let's take on some of the big stories of the week and see if it impacted the over under on win totals. As an example, let's start with something for the okay. Bills Mafia. You Hell know, the yeah. Mafia saw the deals that Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill received. They were sweating what that meant for Stephon Diggs. Mm. Well, what it meant for Diggs was he got that paper as well. Now the franchise QB, Josh Allen, knows that his number one guy is locked. Did that do anything to the over-under on their wins, and how are you playing it? So their over-under wins on the season is 11.5, the highest with Tampa, and it was kind of built in with Diggs, so it did nothing there. But I'm smashing the over on this, Jim. I think they have the coaches and leadership to get over that KC letdown to make them stronger, and I love their offseason so far. Big swing with Von Miller and adding juice to a pass rush with a couple young, nice players already. They've had some good value signings as well in areas of needs. Daquan Jones, Jordan Phillips for that run defense, and Jamison Crowder replacing Cole Beasley in the slot. Their biggest concern is the offensive line in protecting Josh Allen. They brought in Roger Saffold and still have an entire draft with all their picks. Yes, Josh Allen right there. They have all their picks in their draft to bring in a couple more big bodies. They do have a tough schedule. They have to play the Bengals and the Rams on the road, but I'm going over 11.5. 
They look Super Bowl winning good. I love the Bills this year. Dude, you're okay. So your energy is big. Not only are you not hitting them, you're smashing them. And not only do you not like them, you love them. Love the Bills. All right. So he loves him over 11.5. Now, next thing, granted, Debo Samuel is not a wide receiver per se. But kind of a wide receiver slash running back, and he's got a middle linebacker's mentality. I'm not even sure there's a true comp for a do-everything player like this dude. What does seem apparent, though, is that he wants his dough, and he's not getting it, and he's not very Mm -hmm. happy about that. I make that assumption based on the fact that he kind of scrubbed his social media accounts like all the young guys do. Personally, I don't think there's another guy in the league like him the Niners obviously need him. They need him in the right headspace. How important do you personally think he is to what they do? And let's make a bet on how we think this is going to play out. What is the over-under on wins for the Niners? How are you playing it? Over-under wins is 10 on the season. I'm taking the over here. here. What? Oh gosh, just about choked on that. <laughs> <laughs> this picking games is hard, dog. It is hard. Just like Debo. Not as hard as you're making it, dude. Not as hard as you're making it, dude. I'm going Debo. He's absolutely critical to what they do. And considering their quarterback situation, Jim, it's even more so. Their cap situation is bad. Getting Debo paper might come down to moving on from Jimmy G. So that safety net for Trey Lance might be gone, maybe. But Lance... Has a Young's quarterback dreams here. You know I love my guy Kyle Shanahan, his running game, Debo. If they they re-up him or make him get paid here. George Kittle and Trent Williams, I have confidence this all works out. Also, that defense and the job that D'Amico Ryans did last season does not get enough love. He has his guys playing uh, elite football down the stretch last year with a banged-up secondary, that is. They added Charvarius Ward, and if you can cut down on the big plays, which, you know, talent helps there, which they have it now, they're going to be tough as hell to beat. No Russ Wilson in the division, and I'm not liking Arizona much. Let's go over 10 wins, and they will figure this thing out with Debo. All right, so over 10. Let me ask you something really quickly, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Dude, did you finish high school? Uh, summer school a couple times, but I did get my That's degree, right. yes. Or All right. Diploma or whatever that was your, called. Your GED, you mean? That thing? Negative All right. Card? And so for Negative some reason, goals. I'm not sure why this is, but next topic. Mm-hmm. Sam Darnold is one guy who woke up this morning feeling pretty dangerous. Yes, and did. apparently every single day. Because suddenly Sam Darnold is a big Sam Darnold guy. And as far as you can tell, has that had any impact on the Panthers' future number because he's talking about himself a lot. I don't know if he's trying to talk himself into it or everybody around him. What's their number? How are you going to play them? Yeah, Sam has that unvalidated writ-type uh, confidence, I guess. Um, not sure why he's so pleased with his play, but he is of late. It has nothing to do with their over-under. They are asked. There are six wins on the season for the over-under there, Jim. I am going under. I don't know what the hell they're doing there. They have the richest owner in the NFL. They have more cap space than anyone, but they aren't spending much money. They have no second, third, or even their original fourth-round pick in the draft. I assume they will take a quarterback with that high pick, but he or Sam are set up for a disaster again with that line. They have brought in a few guys, but they need about a few more to be even average here. Also, Ben McAdoo, he's not going to bail them out. Love their defense, love it a lot, but rough season for Matt Rule. Probably his last there. Panthers under six. All right, you said they are ass. Mm -hmm. Is it because you also said they have the richest odor? Uh, Owner, my bad. Odor, yeah. All right, so there it is. Some NFL futures. We could do that. 
Okay, we could do that every single week with My bad. I called it wrong. NFL Futures. I know you love fisters. Mm. We are like, this segment should be over, and we're not even halfway there. Let's keep moving. Great fight card, UFC 273. Three great fisters, two of which are championship fights. All three have enormous favorites. I'm really curious how you're going to get down here. Generally, are you hunting value, or are you feeling chalky, given that there are three big favorites? On this card, you have to go value and specials here. There's too much chalk, and the three big fights are crazy numbers, so you can't go favorites here. All right, so Chimaev and Burns, yes. a mother of a yes. fight. I know, I know you love Chimaev, aka the angry or the angry Habib. Is mm-hmm. much. I mean, you love him as much or more than I do. I can't get enough of this guy. Impossible for me to say who my favorite fighter is on the UFC roster, but I can say there's nobody I like more than this guy. There's nobody I like more than this guy. I love everything about this guy. And apparently so do the odds makers who have him as a heavy favorite against an extremely dangerous fighter in Gilbert Burns. What is the number you have? And I'm really curious to see how you're going to play it. Yeah, Chmaev is my favorite fighter right now. He is a minus 475 favorite over Burns. Wow. That is insane. When Burns fought Usman just over a year ago. Wow, wow, wow. Yes, Wow. Check this out. A year ago, he fought Usman, uh, many of whom consider is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Burns, at that time, was a plus-210 underdog. Insane. He's now a plus-350 against Smash. And it's because of the numbers that Smash is putting up in the octagon. He's fought four times, Jim. He has a total strike advantage of 254 punches landed to two taken. He has a significant strike advantage of 112 to one. He has a control time on the ground, on the mat, of almost 12 minutes, and his opponents have none. But I'm taking Burns in the plus 350 here against my favorite fighter in the world. It's worth a shot. This is a significant step up in competition for Smash. Smash. We don't know about his chin, and Burns' style could present problems. He has power, and he's one of the best jiu-jitsu games in the history of the UFC. I'm going to take a shot here on Burns plus 375. What a fascinating, fascinating matchup. Styles make fights. Yes. And, and a big lesson right there. That's like you just said shot. it. This guy is my favorite fighter, but you're going against him because it's business. It's yeah, business. Business, money. Alexander right. Volkanovsky versus the Korean Zombie. The main event, all right? The one we just talked about is mm-hmm. not the main event. This is the main event. I love that fight. How you playing it? Volkanovski is a minus 760 favorite here. I cannot do that, but I'm going to hit a special on the champ by KO, TKO at plus 210. The zombie usually ices or gets iced, and I think Alex can actually keep his distance, break him down, use his IQ, and then that cardio sets in, and then he can finish him. I know he hasn't won uh, by KO in his last four fights, but I kind of feel Brian Ortega almost died in the mat or the last match out there so they could have called that off there so let's go Alexander the Great by KO or TKO plus 210 I don't want to say that I'm rooting but there's some talk or some speculation that if he wins that fight we might get an interview with him and it might be in studio so I kind of hope he wins that'd be nice then really quickly the co-main event is Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling another interesting matchup also for the belt how you playing that Yeah, so these guys are running it back. Jan uh, was DQ'd last time for an illegal strike. He is a minus 500 favorite here against the champ Sterling. I can't hit that, but Jan's a beast. He's typically a slow starter in the fight, but I can get a bout special of Jan. 
by KOTKO in round three, four, or five at plus 350. I'll take that, actually. I love Jan. I'll take that one. Hey, you're getting kind of cute with it this week. You got to ride with the favorites. Yep, I have to. It's just too too big of odds for the favorites here. All right, so really quickly now, unlike... It's a tradition unlike any other. You hitting Masters picks on day two of the tournament. You've gotten down and made a lot of money doing this the last couple of years. So here we are. I'm going to admit, I sort of went punk ass on a couple of chalky picks myself yesterday Mm -hmm. just to get some action. But what are you going to do today? I know you want to wait until the very last second. Give me and the clone something to think about today. Yeah, I'm going to go with three dudes. Kind of chalky here because it's the Masters, and there's a lot of very good players up by the leaderboard right now. We're going to go Sung J.M. He's in first. The last I saw, he was a runner-up in 2020, plus 700. I'm also going to go with the world's number one golfer. Can you get him plus 700 right now? I just jumped on the air, and I just saw him at plus 700. I like that. I also saw Scotty Scheffler, the world's number one, at plus uh, plus 700 as well. So there's two guys, plus 700. I hit him yesterday, and I did not get that. What did you get? High? A lot less than that. Oh, yeah, because it's after first day then, too. So No, before I went before the event. I went before the event. I got a lot Mm. less than that. I guess I should have waited. Yep. And I'm going to take a flyer here. Patrick Cantley, plus mm, 1,000. You know, I like that. Love him. Right. He hasn't had great success at Augusta, but I'm hoping he's looking a little bit better today. So let's go with him at plus 1,000. There you go. I like it. So, head, that was about as fat a head segment as we've ever had. Can you run it down really quickly, then put it up on Twitter for me? NFL uh, regular season uh, over-unders, Bills over 11.5 wins, Niners over 10 wins, Panthers under 6, UFC 273, Volkanovski, KO, TKO, plus 210, Jan, KO, TKO in round 3, 4, or 5 at plus 350, Burns, what number did I get for Burns here? I believe plus 375 to beat my favorite Burn. player in the world, Chemaev, and then the Masters, Sung J M. Plus 700. Scotty Scheffler, plus 700. And Patrick Cantlay at plus 1,000. Dude, I'm presuming, did you pull all these numbers from our buddies at DraftKings? That's it. Yeah. All right, Head. By the way, dude, I know. I want to be very clear about this. We have a little fun. Hey, one more question. Are mm-hmm. you illiterate? Yes. Okay. I think the world I, I, I do want to make the That's point, right. though. That you don't just pull this out of your backside. You put in the time. You have your system. You have your prep. Great job, Head. A lot of work, a lot of content, and a lot of free premium advice. Good job, Head. Thanks, Jim. The big head, James Kelly. We do it on Fridays. And now I've got a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, you know, like cashback match. Discover matches all the cash back that you've earned at the end of your first year. How cool is that? Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Jalen Tolbert is my guest. Jalen, great to have you on. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. All right, so there might be people listening and watching on TV right now that are only now learning about you, but... NFL teams have known about you for a while. What has the draft evaluation process been like? For instance, is it a grind that you have to get through, or is it kind of a process that you've been able to enjoy? Uh, it's definitely a process that, that I've been able to enjoy just because of the opportunity to be able to play in the Senior Bowl. You know, I grew up going to the Senior Bowl, so that was a big opportunity. And then another opportunity was the Combine. 
go down there and compete and showcase uh, my talents as well down there. And then the interview process, I mean, it's everything that you you uh, want to do with your life future-wise. So, you know, you got to enjoy it and soak every moment up. All right, so the Combine's interesting because, you know, people just kind of assume that you go to the Combine, right? But you can't make that assumption. You're coming from a program that has not received a lot of attention from the NFL in the past. In fact, you were only the fifth player from South Alabama to get an invite to the Combine, which is pretty amazing. So what was that experience like at the Combine, and what did you want people to take away from that? Uh, the experience was awesome, uh, just being – being able to go out there and compete, you know, along with those other guys that are that are in this upcoming draft, and you know, we trained hard for it, so it was fun to go out there and, and showcase my speed and uh, ability to run routes and jump and do everything, you know, to the highest of my ability. And I just wanted to go out there and show teams that, you know, I, it doesn't matter what school I came from, you know, that I'm gonna come and compete, you know, at whatever level, whatever place it is. Jalen Tolbert's joining us. I mentioned only five people ever from South Alabama have gotten the invite to the Combine. Fact is, South Alabama has only had two players selected in the NFL. I'm kind of curious, what does that mean for you and for the entire program? Do you approach it like you've got a chip on your shoulder and you want to make people eat their words? Like, what kind of fuel are you running on right now? Definitely, uh, definitely a chip on my shoulder, making people eat their words. Uh, I feel like a lot of people overlook you know, the school or me because of the school that I went to and level of competition and whatever other questions they may have. And so me staying at, at South and being able to hopefully be the third person ever drafted from the school is something big for me. And, you know, of course, it's my hometown as well. And being able to change the culture around there and create that culture where guys in South Alabama start normally getting drafted. That's where if I could have went anywhere else, you know, I would have just been another number. All right, so you mentioned two things I was going to ask you about. Number one, staying there and changing the culture, and also you mentioned the level of competition. Fact is, you actually had some of your biggest games against the best competition. You had 143 yards and a TD against Tennessee. You had 191 yards and a TD against Coastal Carolina. What is it about the big games against the big opponents that brings out the best in you? Like, do you consciously dial it up on the bigger stage? Uh, definitely just going out there and showing, you know, that it doesn't matter the level of competition. Uh, you know, everybody questions, you know, he doesn't play in the SEC or he doesn't play in the Big Ten, whatever the case may be. So, you know, knowing that I had an opportunity to go out there and make people eat their words is, is something that drives me forward. And then the opportunity to, to do whatever I can for the team. And, and, you know, maybe we go get that upset at Tennessee and, you know, maybe we get that upset at Coastal. So giving it everything that I can in order to uh, help drive the team forward. Jalen Tolbert's joining us. I'm actually going to skip over something like coming out. First of all, you were a baseball guy and then became a football guy. And then coming out of high school, you were a two-sport recruit. I want to get to that if I have time. But you mentioned staying at South. like Because once you got there, you started to put up big, big numbers. But there was coaching turnover. You could have entered the transfer portal and gone on to a bigger program. You had options, but you didn't do that. How come? Uh. Definitely because of uh, the culture that I wanted to start around South Alabama. A lot of those young guys in the program look up to me, and so me being able to stay there and be that outlet for them and you know, show that you can make it to the senior bowl and make it to the combine and hopefully get drafted. You know, and If you put in the work, it doesn't really matter where you go from because a lot of those guys might not have the opportunity to leave. And so um, definitely just staying there and being an outlet for them and, and kind of leading the way, I guess you'd say. 
Jalen Tolbert's my guest. I mentioned you were a multi-sport athlete growing up, but actually more of a baseball player until high school, which is kind of interesting because your dad coached football, but you said you never had the urge to play. What changed? What made you want to play football? Uh, uh, initially, it was the relationships with my teammates on other teams. You know, like my quarterback also played baseball with me, and so we would just go and, you know, throw the ball, and I'd catch for him so he could throw, and then I just got into it and then started playing it, and then I eventually fell in love with the competitive mindset that you have to have and carry with yourself through football as to where in baseball you kind of just wait for stuff to happen, and, you know, you get maybe three or four at-bats a game. In football, you get one-on-one plays every every snap, so – uh, I fell in love with that part of the, of, uh, the game of football. I get that. Jalen Tolbert's joining us. Thomas Ahrensburg is an assistant football coach here at high school. He said that when you first showed up, quote, he was not good. He was a tall, lanky kid who jumped off sides a lot. In reality, he was just another guy on the team. Amazing to think that that's what he said about you then, and this is where you are right now. But the same coach talks about a moment in a summer where you guys were playing seven-on-seven in attorney. One of the guys on the team got into a fight. You came in to replace him, and this coach says, quote, you tore it up. He said it was clear that you had been working out on your own, running routes, working on your receiving skills. Like, what do you remember about that moment, and what motivated you to put in all that work on your own? Uh. You know, I never, I'm very competitive, so I, I never want to be the worst at something or never want to be bad or lose. And so, you know, once I knew that I wasn't very good, you know, I started putting in extra work at, at the times that I was able to and just continue to get better every day. And I just thought about it as like get 1% better today and work on something else the next day and just continue to, to grind forward and, you know, end up paying off for me. All right, so I know you've talked about Julio Jones and Allen Robinson as a couple of guys that you watch and try to emulate or learn from. What is it about those two guys that you like and respect? Uh, I love Allen Robinson's contested catching, you know, how he positions his body and sets his, himself up to be able to make contested catches and, and be able to grab the ball away from his body. So I, I look for that on film when I watch him. And then Julio Jones' speed into routes, his strength while he plays, physicality into routes, and I actually had the opportunity to watch him play uh, in high school at Foley while my dad was coaching at Williamson. And uh, I just kind of followed his career from there. And, you know, he's, he's one of my favorite receivers. So anything I can pick up from him, I try to pick up. Sounds to me like you've already got that mindset and that work ethic. So let me ask you this. It was not that long ago that you got a high school assistant coach thinking that you're not that good. And now we're talking about you being an early draft pick. I'm kind of curious overall, what's that journey been like and what's it feel like to hear or what will it feel like to hear your name called and find out where you're going to play and where you're going to live and live the NFL dream? Uh, definitely it'd be a special moment. You know, I know all the work that I put in and, and all the people around me know all the work that I put in, extra work, extra hours, uh, extra catches, extra routes. And so it, it's definitely going to be a special moment and a blessing. And then, you know, of course I'll soak it all up on, on the night that it happens. And then, um, for me, it's just the same chip on my shoulder. Got to go to wherever, you know, whoever picked me and go down there and, and go take somebody's job and go compete for a spot. Hey, Jalen, one last thought. Where do you think your separation is? Is it in your God-given ability or is it in that thing you just said, like one more rep, one more hour, one more day, one more practice? How much of it is about your willingness to do things that maybe others are not willing to do? Uh, definitely, definitely the, my willingness to do things that others don't do, you know, maybe I might, you know, not go to, to, you know, just say a party or, or a basketball game or something. I might go catch extra tennis balls or, 
run extra routes or go watch some extra film. And so I'm putting in, you know, more hours than the normal person would. And I think that, that, you know, is why it's paying off for me. There it is. Plays college ball at South Alabama. He was the 2021 Sunbelt Conference Offensive Player of the Year. I mentioned the numbers. They were enormous. And then the draft is getting underway on April 28th. Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama. Jalen, great to meet you. Great to talk to you. Good luck on draft day. I'll be really curious to see where you go. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Alvy, if you got a week that was for me, then roll it. Do, 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 cause do, do, do. What's cracking? Welcome to the jungle. I'm Jim Rome. Holy crap. An enormous day. I have never, ever, 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 ever hated on Duke. And I mean ever. I'm not that guy. That said, Duke fan, you're not going to like what I have to say. Top of the key. I cannot see Duke and Coach K losing to their bitter rival twice in a month on two of the biggest stages ever. And then they got smashed. D-E-A-D, dead, dead, dead. Direct kick in the stick when uh, Love hit that three. Today is World Rat Day. To me, a rat is a rat. A disgusting rodent. No matter how you look at it, there's nothing good about a rat. So how did it get its own day? Greg Berhalter. The first step to really getting this program back to where it belonged. The trophies were great, gave the group confidence, but in the big picture getting back to the World Cup was essential. It's the World Cup. My man, Church. Dude, I was your biggest fan ever. And then you had to go and wreck it completely. You did like the coolest thing ever. And then you walk it back and you offer a free show and an apology? What? what? So disappointing. Email. I don't know if you know this, yo, dude. California schools are really bleeping hard to get into. You know why that is, Steve? No offense. Because it's Cali and not San Antonio. Uh-oh. I'm not going Charles Barkley on you. I love San Antonio. Big old Antonio. women in San Antonio. <laughs> Jerry Stackhouse joining us for a few more moments. It's comes about competitive greatness. Hopefully the Tar Heels have more guys doing that than Kansas does. Kansas, Kansas big Hawks. One hell of a comeback. A second half for the ages. And one of the weirdest, wackiest championship games ever. Credit to one, Matthias Emmert. Kansas City, Jayhawks. That actually happened. Matt Norlander. What the replacement are to you and we're to you, Jim, that's what Guster is to me. It was an amazing side thing to what was an awesome, awesome final. Yeah. On the list of people that I would like to shock out of a deep sleep, Oge is last. Dead last. Wakey, wakey. Wakey, wakey, Oge. Are you kidding me with that? Andrew Whitworth is joining us. You know what? We've had an awesome run. What an amazing ride. To be able to go out this way is so special, and and I want to leave it that way and and not feel like maybe I wasn't as mentally and physically ready to be able to go through it. Check us out. This is how we do it in Oakland. This is how we do it in Dogtown. Come with through the jungle, getting puppy love. Rim rum is burning dog. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Sniffer. Look at me on Bite. Paul's dog getting racked all damn night. SOSDD. Get your show The playing game is not a destination or a goal for anybody. It's kind of like porn. What's going on? Teams that do not even care about being in the playoffs are in it. And the Lakers couldn't even do that. Get off of our bed, bug infested, dirty mattress in the dirt. Sam Amick is my guest. That was one of the knuckleheads that thought they were going to be raising the Larry O'Brien trophy. So that tells you where my head was at. The worst season or most disappointing season in franchise history. Hey, Hey. get your bum ass back in that kitchen and cook it some more. And then when you think it's burnt to a crisp 
this bumass. Cook it another 10 minutes. Cook it again. He is Rex Hoggard. Rex, what's going on? How are you? This is awesome. A tradition unlike any other. Let's keep it going. Buffalo! How y'all living today? Now that you know that the Lombardi is coming. <laughs> My beef is with sea salt. It tastes exactly the same as regular salt. <laughs> we don't eat chicken bird, old trapper beef, cow jerky. Just call it tuna. <laughs> My Bench beef is salt. with the wife. Recent Vegas vacation. She is dressed to kill. She has heads turning all night. We get back to the room and suddenly I'm looking at Medusa. What the hell happened to the lady who was so hot for everybody else to see? Sean Casey. Romy, let's go, buddy. Opening day 2022. Bam, like a pack of marbles hits me in the face. It's Leland right next to me. If you ever, ever take my advice I'm hitting again, I'm sending a double A. I was 0 for August one time as a player. Uh, anyway, this, uh, uh, Nicholson uh, debacle, you might say. I think it's the uh, pea in the sea can eat a eat massive it, bag of rubber dongas. Like she's got a forklift of rubber dongas. Dima Kovalenko is my guest. That's what I wish for everybody for this to be over, for people to get together, for people to come home, be with their family. So that's the most important thing. Sean is like, explain to me, you just wake up like sad? I'm like, yeah. He's like, why? I'm like, because I have depression. And he's like, obviously, thanks. I can swing a golf club. It's the, the walking is not, not easy. That to me was borderline miraculous. Borderline erotic. To you, Tiger Honks, <laughs> it wasn't borderline erotic. It was full on erotic. Borderline erotic. There's no way this guy so How are you playing it? Over or under wins is 10 on the season. I'm taking the over here. here. Oh. What? Oh gosh, just about choked on that. <laughs> Technology and stuff. Kansas City Jayhawks. Unwar Riverside, Bakersfield, and Fresno. Meat whistle, rain jackets. Steph Curry's the one that I want to play with. I'm good right now. Richest odor owner. Steak. Quentin Rover. All damn night. We got to do this again sometime. Good night now. Quentin Rover, I did not pick up on the first time. Great job, Alvin. Amazing. Matt in Poland Springs writes, just got home from Vegas for a realtor summit. Talked up Javier's to my buddies. They could not believe how good it was. I was worried I talked it up too much, but it never disappoints. Hey, Matt, that's my take times a million. Because I've been talking up like that on the radio for more than a decade. And I keep waiting for that one person to say, hey, Rome, wasn't all that. It's just, how do you do that? How do you always talk up that place like that? We went, it was not all that. Like, literally, everything that would happen with, except Javier's. That's how good Javier's is. I told you, if I had a choice between hanging out with, I don't know, name anybody you want. MJ or Javier, it's Javier. Uh, George Clooney or Javier, it's Javier. Javier's a bigger rock star than any of these people. Robert Plant or Javier. It's tough, but I'm going to go with Javier. Take your favorite person, and I'm going to say Javier. Charles Oakley. Your favorite person's favorite person is Javier. John Elway. John Elway. would rather I'd rather hang out with Javier for sure than John Elway. And I like Kerry John Elway. Collins. Who? Kerry Collins. No, Javier. Glenn Rice. Javier. Kurt Orban. Ooh, that's tough. Javier. Tommy Smothers. Definitely Javier. Good job, Lewis Alvin. Slung Pew. Ooh, Slung Pew. 
Oh, I don't know. Javier, mi amigo, lo siento. Javier. Henry Winkler. Oh, the best guy in town, the Fonz. Wow, that's the ultimate right there. Putting me on the spot, Alvi. Javier. Senator Trent. Definitely Javier. Bam on a bio. Mmm, bam. Babacqua. All right, all right, all right, Alvi. Alvi, you're good, dude. Alvin Bye-bye. is on fire. Mira Sorvino. I, I love Alvin just pulling bits right out his ass at the end of the week. It was so good. Chris Moley. I love Moley. Javier. Sam Dunstan. Javier. Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. Ooh, I like Steph. Javier. Good night. 